Welcome to the Demand Excellence Podcast. I am your host, Coach Jonathan Guest from Eagles Landing Christian Academy. Today, I'm interviewing Coach Joel Ingram from Washington County High School. Coach Ingram is a phenomenal coach. He has been there since 2000. He became the head coach in 2006, and he has had tremendous success there. In 2013 and 14, he made it to the state championship game. And then I like his story because in 2017, he had a, he struggled in 2017, went four and seven, but then boom, in 2018, turned it back around and went 10 and three, made it to the state quarterfinals. I love talking with Coach Ingram. He is a high intense guy. He's an offensive line guy. He does things the right way, full of wisdom. And I know you guys are gonna enjoy the show. Before I start the show, I'm gonna uh, plug my book again, uh, Demand Excellence on and off the field. It's now as an ebook, so you can buy it as an ebook. You can find it at ElkaFaster, E-L-C-A-Faster.com, or you can go to my Twitter, which is at ElkaFootball, and it's pinned at the top of the page. This book is for the Christian man out there or woman who is a competitor and wants to win, but yet knows that Jesus has got to be first and everything that they do, Jesus Christ has to be first. But when you're a competitor, winning quickly becomes first. And that's what the book's all about. And I do not have it figured out. And I screw up every single day. But I think the book is a great guide to at least what we should be thinking. Not that I think that every single day. Like I told you, I struggle. I think you would enjoy it though. But back to the podcast. Coach Ingram, I appreciate you being on the show today. I hope everybody enjoys it. All right, Coach, you're at Washington County High School. Tell us how you got to Washington County High School, your steps to get you there. I know that for the listener out there, Washington County High School is one of the top performing football schools in the state, if you if you look at the history. So talk us about how you got there, how you got into coaching. Well, my father was a longtime high school football coach in, um, in Georgia, but he did the bulk of it in Alabama. So I'm, I'm from Alabama. And uh, I played college football at Jacksonville State, which is an FCS school in Jacksonville, Alabama. And uh, I had a chance to play under some great coaches there, man. One time, you know, like Charles Kelly was there. You know, he's the linebacker coach at the University of Alabama. Uh, Doug Meacham was there. Patrick Nix was there. Uh, Will Muschamp was there. I mean, we had a really, really good coaching staff. Um, but it was at the end of a uh, 1999 season. I was a graduate assistant uh, with under Josh Niblett, who's actually the head coach at, uh, at National Power Hoover High School. Um, yep. And we had a coaching change in the middle of the season. And I've always kind of I've always wanted to be a coach, but I didn't want to be a guy that had to move around um, a whole lot. I always wanted to get around somewhere where there was some stability. I didn't want to be one of those guys that was uh, recycled every year. Well, um, you know, but I was still had the needs to coach college. I think I'll always will to, to, to a degree. But at Washington County, a longtime friend of my family who actually played at Jacksonville State was my brother's roommate, a guy named Matt Hollis, who's still one of the best football, football coaches in Georgia, was coaching at Washington County. And uh, he was going over to be the defensive coordinator. And he'd been the offensive line coach forever. And we laugh to this day being O-lineman, and you can certainly attest to this, you know, you want to be able to, 
to get the right guy to do your offensive line. And we joke about it this day being like the Transformers movies, like passing the matrix from Optimus Prime to the, to the next guy. Yeah. Uh, getting to coach the offensive line at Waco. So I started doing that in 2000 and uh, I came to Washington County. I met with Coach Cumberland. I uh, came in February of uh, 2000. Uh, on a first on sort of just a, of a meet and greet. I hadn't even really officially interviewed for the job, and I knew there was something different about him. Of course, he's been one of the most legendary coaches of the last 25 years uh, in, um, in, in, the, in the state in any classifications. There was something different about the place. Uh, and, of course, my initial – initially I thought, I'm going to come over here for about a year, go back to Alabama, you know, set up near home where I'm from and all that good stuff. No. And then uh, – you know, 19 going in on year 20, here I am. And I was with Coach Tomlin for six years as offensive coordinator. And then when he left, took the Valdosta job in 2006. Uh, at 29, I became the head coach at Waco. That is crazy. So, I've aged in dog years ever since. <laughs> <laughs> coach, talk about, you mentioned there, like you've been there at Waco 14 years. You've lived there since 2000. But you still have that itch maybe a little bit to coach at the college level. Um, talk a little bit. I think a lot of high school coaches are that way. Why haven't you done it yet? Do you still plan on doing it? Talk us through that a little bit. Well, I mean, I just being real with it, you know, a lot of guys will tell you, you know, how it's all predicated by players. You know, most years, you know, when I've had almost opportunities to go to the next level or anything, you know, regarding moving up is is when you have great players and not necessarily going to schools where they want your players, just you meet guys when you have those, you know, have those type players, special players, and you meet a lot of coaches during those times. Um, but I don't think, you know, looking back on it, Coach, when you think about it, you look at what we do, I don't know if I could I – don't, I don't know if I could coach uh, at another level. I think, uh, I think uh, it'd be fun just to run out in front of the eighty to 100,000 people and to be in the grind every day, all day. Uh, which is what all football coaches do. You really love it. You love the grind. Right. Um, but what we get to do with our high school kids, taking that kid that couldn't walk and chew gum at the same time and watching him turn into a 5'9", 250-pound kid, turn into an all-region lineman and lead you on a playoff run and just be so dependable. And you see that kid take, you know, ride that momentum into his life, and then he's a great employer, employee, you know, husband, father, and all that good stuff. And uh, I think it's fun at our level, too, how we can we're, – we're more up to change. You know, we, we, I think we can learn, Coach. As high school coaches, we tend to learn more because with our players, we don't, we don't, put, we don't have a system that we run. It's, and we might be – like, look at Washington County. We're, we're, we're too tight power-eyed and we're, we're spread wide open and we're single-wing. Yeah, you know, we, we sort of we run just about every offense there is in a gamut. And I think that's a challenge. I think because we've had to do that, that's kept us on our toes and made us better coaches. Because in this game, you better never, ever, ever, ever get too caught up in what you think you know because sooner or later, defenses or, or offenses will catch up to it. And you're going to have to always, you know, be on your P's and Q's trying to get better. Yeah, talk about that, Coach. You know, you go – I guess it was 14 and 15, maybe 13 and 14, where you have the amazing runs that you had. Uh, and, and, of course, you had a phenomenal quarterback. He ended up going to Georgia Tech. I know he's probably playing safety there. But at the end of the day, him as a quarterback at the, at the high school level 
Uh, he was phenomenal. And so you're trying to design your offense more around him. How, I mean, we want him to have the ball every single time. But then he graduates. You don't have that guy anymore. So it's not like you're at college where you can just recruit the quarterback that you want to fit your system. Your system has to change based upon the personnel. I don't think the common fan understands that. Talk a little bit about that process. It is. Um, I don't think a lot of the common fan, I think you're exactly right. I know this is the most common question I get hit up with on the street is, who's going to be our quarterback? And what we're having to do right now, we don't have a quarterback. We just don't have a quarterback-type player for what we like to do when we do. So what we've been doing running the single wing, you know, I looked at it and we had just – we were – comical with the number of turnovers we had two years ago and we just had to make a change somehow um and uh, we didn't have a quarterback in the in the program anymore and we didn't have a quarterback in the program you know it was kind of one of those what are we going to do and type deals and uh just sitting in the clinic again just trying to sit through and learn a little bit more um you know we have this thing run across the single wing i'm sitting here saying well we have a lot of running backs at the moment, and our, you know, we can share the wealth with the ball and really work on those guys' ball security, and that'll, that'll knock down and alleviate the turnover problem. And it was a little different. Nobody really sees it. And it, our kids, people, then the next question people say is, well, how do you get kids to buy into that? Kids are pretty malleable. Um, kids, if you really show them something, if you show them something and you explain what it can do and how they can fit into it and how it will benefit everybody around them, I found more times than not, most kids are willing to, to jump into it. Right. And so you go away from these bubble screens and things like that, you give them other things to do, skin plays and things like that, and kids love it. You try to – that's what you do to make it fun. The football is football. We try to make it too complicated sometimes. And at the end of the day, I heard Alex Gibbs say one time, it's not your toughness as a coach doesn't determine the outcome of a game. I'm going to run and I'm going to do this. you got to do what you can do. And right. um, and sometimes it may not be necessarily that it's been years when we've had to throw the ball. You know as well as I do, you being just like me, as an offensive line-minded guy, you want to run football. And there's been years we've thrown it a lot more than others because we had to and then because we could, you know. And I've found more times than not in my career up to this point when I've taken chances it's worked out for the better more than it's worked out against us. So um, you just you just try to learn football and take cal- calculated risks. But again, I, Jonathan, I think that's just the great thing about high school football, especially in Georgia, is being able to change. I love the game of football, so I've been able to learn as we've had to change and adapt with uh, with the changing times and in, in, in high school sports. Absolutely. So, Coach, talk a little bit about you know you say you struggled with turnovers a few years ago, which made you focus or change your offense I guess talk about why you were turning the football over and we all know as coaches out there and the number one way to lose a football game is turn the ball over so absolutely what, well, yes, go talk trying, about that. trying to do trying to do what we couldn't do um and I take all the responsibility for that you know we we won a region title with some sophomores um a few years back and Everybody in the region was young, and uh, and our guys didn't stop working any harder. They they kept working, they kept working, they kept working. But under all those expectations, and maybe me trying to put too much on them on some guys to do too much, and it caused them to have diminishing returns. So, you know, some of it's on the player, but I also as a coach, I'll take responsibility for that. 
you know, we just that we weren't in balance and we were turning the ball over uh, and just, you know, too many three and outs. And, you know, everybody's wanting to run up, hurry up, play fast, hurry up and play fast. And we were just hurrying up to, to set ourselves up in another bad situation. But we gutted it out, man. We were, you know, but we were still a very tough football team. Coach, we played in one of those. We had to play our way in. We're sitting there like one and five or two and five. And these little these, uh, hard, hard, you know, um, gutsy jokers I had, we played our way into the state playoffs. We got in a three-way tie. We had to play one of those 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 uh, Monday night games before yeah. we went and played a Friday night game and had wow. to go in double overtime to get in. So Good. I knew we were still gritty and tough, but we had to find a way on the offensive side of the ball to help our defense. And so I figured, well, most of our turnovers come when we're throwing the football or when we're, you know, guys that don't normally handle the football in the running game or handling. So, and then we were already short quarterback. So I started looking at this thing with, you know, single wing. And I thought, well, all these running backs, it'll help cut down on our, our turnover, surely. And just in turnovers alone, we were giving us, you know, three or four wins uh, that we didn't have from the year before. And, um, and sure enough, we took a calculated risk and it, it paid off. You know, we're still babies and infants running it. But I tell people all the time, you know, if I have a kid come to this way, well, coach, what are you going to do about your skill kids? Well, when I get skill kids and a uh, quarterback who can deliver the ball to them consistently, you know, prototypical guy, man, we'll, we'll be wide open air race. You know, I'm not, I'm not opposed to running anything because in the past when we, when we branched out, when it was time to branch out, it worked well. And, right. uh, you know, exploring this thing now, it still sort of fits. It's like I said, our kids sort of, uh, they, they fit, they seem, it's sort of a seamless transition. Our kids in it now running how we're doing things now. And when we start seeing diminishing returns, we'll go right back to the drawing board. Right. Well, Coach, you know, obviously you've had success with it. You know, you uh, went 10-3. and three. I think in 2017, uh, struggled that year. And then in 2018, last year, you go 10-3. and three. Um, but that's what that's what I read. So I think you went ten and three. So that's a very that's a very successful year. Talk a little bit about uh, maybe how the 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 wing T fit or not wing T. Sorry, single wing fit you guys and how it helped you maybe on defense too. Just committing to the run. I don't know, but what led to that success? Obviously, the kids being a year older, but between two thousand seventeen and two thousand eighteen. Well, we, we, we felt like our, our team, what we had coming back to be physical from an offensive line standpoint. And we felt like we had some guys like, you know, when you faced us at Waco, we always had those centers and guards that were the 185 to 200 pound range that could really pull and move around and all that good stuff. And we said sort of a surplus alignment and we had a couple of good running backs and uh, but with no real prototypical quarterback player. So we said, well, let's see what we can do with this and, and make waves with it and go from there. And uh, and we made some waves with it because we had uh, we just had, like, the perfect storm. And we got a kid at Kennesaw State, Preston Daniels, who was a three-time All-State player. He was a fullback and, and a Mike linebacker in 245 pounds that, you know, A, could block anybody, and B, would give his heart to block anybody. So, yeah. Uh, and then we had Daquan Bloodsaw, who was, the, I think, he at the end of the year, and he was one of the top two or three rushers in all classification. So the kids see that they take pride in it, and they like, they know that they're a little, they're doing things just a little bit different. You know, I tell them all the time, you know, the new wave is 
get one of Lincoln Riley's cut-up videos, you know, from Oklahoma. He runs all these new-age passing concepts, and he's awesome. You know, nowadays when I get cut-ups, it's like black and white 1948 Colgate cut-ups, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's cool, man, because everything recycles itself. You know, look at the shoes the kids wear today, right? Uh, the, 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 you know, I look at those shoes all the time. I mess with the kids. Man, I remember those shoes. I had them when they first came out. You know, those are air revolution, you know, they, you know, because they, because what was the old shoes, that was, what was old then, now, now recycled the new. And same thing with football, you know, tomato, tomato, some 50 defense, Okie defense, the 1950s, it's a 3-4 today, you know, so, so it's just, it's how uh, Gus Malzahn said football is not a complicated game, but we make it complicated. That's right. Um, it's just the, the human mind and the chess match that guys can do and put, be creative, and it's just an ongoing thing. It's like playing – it's a it's a ever football, coaching offense versus defense, and Coach, you, I think you'll agree with this. It's like a never-ending – if you coach 30 years, it's like a 30-year tic-tac-toe match. I mean, yeah. there's, never, there's never a pattern where you just consistently, you know – are dominant every time. There's always going to be an answer to what you do in space as you force you to be on your toes. And, um, and so that's, a, that's another rewarding thing. Like I said, it's always uh, – and you're going to always get better in your profession if you're a high school coach because if you don't, you're not going to last long. You're going to learn. You're going to figure out a way to get an edge, a legal, a legal way to get an edge, a fair way to get an edge. You're going to find a way uh, to lose an ego and not think that everybody that does something um, different from you is – Blasphemy, you know, you'll learn how to people that <laughs> beat your eyes out that it's gonna have to swallow crow and ask them how they do things. You got to do things like that if you want to get better. You have to check your ego at the door and you know, take the good with the bad. Absolutely. So, coach, talk a little bit about that. You're talking about you know, all, all the different offenses and everything, but talk a little bit about offensive line play. And I think where you said, you know, football's not a complicated game. And I agree. I think we overcomplicate the game from a scheme standpoint. I do think the complicated part of the game, and this is what makes the game hard, is in the details, in the steps right. of your offensive lineman. That you, you know, you have a different rule if he lines up as a five or a four or a four right. eye or a three. Talk a little bit about that because – yeah, that's one reason why you don't want your scheme to get so complicated because the more complicated right. you make your scheme, the harder it is for those guys up front. Right. Well, you know, anytime we've made a scheme change, all we've tried to do is do it from a formational standpoint. In other words, what I mean by that is if we're running a sweep, we will still want to keep it sweep as close to what it was 15, 20 years ago if we ran it. You know, it's because our kids know it, it's ingrained in them. Um, and, you know, if we go to – I know when we go to call and play fast, you know, we would tell the kids if we had tag words for plays, we'd tell them it's just this play. You know, we would always – we would always go back to the same concept they want you to start with because the first concept you start with, that's what's going to be ingrained in the kid's mind. And I know Coach Tomlin used to always say, when you break it down to the conceptual level, you need to start with this is a football, you know, um, because even with the, the smartest kids, kids have been around it, you need to assume when you're trying to establish a new concept that nobody knows anything. You talk to them like they've never uh, been around the game of football in their life, so they can get it right then and there to the smallest, most, most minute details. They'll understand just the importance and the significance of it. And it is the, 
there's a lot of great coaches out there, but like you said, I think it all comes down to the deep, comes down to players and details. And, you know, having great players is a big, big, big thing to success. And then, like you said, details. How organized are your practices? How organized are your meetings on, uh, on the weekend when you're, when you're scheming? Um, how, you know, how organized, how much are you, are you, how well are you communicating to your kids? How tough are you making your kids? Um, how comparable to games are you making your practices? You know, things like that, just like you said, it was an excellent point. That is the details and that is the madness of football. Because then, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, Coach, it was, you know, first it was when Huddle came out, then it was drones, then it was nutrition. You know, and everybody was rushing to try to get on the cutting edge and nutrition. Now, you know, the the next frontier is just all the tech, you know, things you can get through Huddle and things like that. There's just so many ways that a game can be changed by an edge here or there that is saturated in the market now with all your whole bunch of guys that are crazy just trying to just to just to get better and to find like you said find that detail but the problem is is in all of that a lot of times the details get neglected and people right. try to make it about scheme people try to make it about this people try to make it about that like i don't know about you but now the word I hear, the buzzword is RPO, 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 RPO. You know, that's a great thing, and we've run them, and I think they're great. But defenses now have caught on to them, and defenses have ways to run them, have ways to, to combat them. And I always tell people when they have that, hey, let me see your, let me see your zero man coverage. <laughs> let me see your man coverage RPOs. That's we, don't, right. we, we, don't, we don't see them. Well, we do. We see man in Georgia because, Hey, we run the ball really well, and we'll get people stacked up on the line because they're so scared of the run. And B, because there's DBs in Georgia that can do that. There's right. cornerbacks in our region. You know, there's cornerbacks in every region in Georgia with all this caliber of quality of athletes and the caliber of coaching that we have in this state. There's there's athletes everywhere that can that can you know shut those things down. And uh, so you can't rest on on one thing as being a magic bullet. It's all, you know, I, I, you know, not jumping around, but I was talking to Rick Darlington, who was a nationally known coach, single wing guru. And I was asking him one time what was the toughest box he faced, like front seven, like structure-wise, four, three, five, ten. He said, man, I, there's not one. He said, we've lost to all of them. He said, teams that have beat us when I was at the pop get all boiled down to three things. Defenders read their keys, they shed blocks, and they made tackles. So the point of the moral of the story is that, Discipline and fundamentals will trump scheme any and every day of the week. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I'm the I'm the guy you sitting there talking about the fads of the times. You know, like with Huddle, I'm always three years behind everything because I just want oh, I like too. I want somebody to do it for two or three years and tell me like you got to do this. Like I was that way with Huddle. And then I was even that way with huddle sideline. I'm like, I don't know if I want that on my sideline. I'll get so confused. Um, yep. You know, and then – and it's just but – but we really do. So now, like, RPOs and all that kind of stuff. Like, everybody – like, you feel like you're a loser coach if you're not doing RPOs. But, you know what, I don't want to turn the football over. And I don't either. There comes a time – there comes a time when a guy, a guy's got to whip a guy and you got to line up and run the football. And, um, and like I said, uh, it's great. And I, and we've run them and we've had, you know, some success with it and all that. But uh, I also have a single wing, uh, 
a guru in singling also heard that they run RPOs and their RPOs was run power often. And, uh, <laughs> that's right. I that's right. Thought, I always thought that was really cool. <laughs> well, the thing that I struggle with with the RPOs is I, I'm a big play action guy, and people think that we RPO, but it's not. It's a it's a uh, it's a play action, um, and I play action off of every run, you know, run scheme I have. Um, but man, it's just so hard for me. To like, if I have a really good running back and I'm going to RPO, I, I don't, I want him to have the ball. Like, I don't want the quarterback to keep the ball. And I don't, if I want to throw the ball, I'm going to, I'm going to throw the football. Um, that, that's just me. So, so I, I think every coach out there, you just can't jump on a different fad. You just got to be who you are. I was talking to uh, Coach Hardy from yesterday from Greater Atlanta Christian, and he was talking about this. Um, I, I guess this technology that they have that monitors what the kids eat, how much they're sleeping, and it's this accountability tool for the kids to all that kind of stuff. And I said, Coach, who who does that for you? Like, who manages that? Who do you delegate that to? He said, Well, the strength coaches. Well, he's got two strength coaches. Well, Elka, we're more like a public school. I am the offensive coordinator. I am the offensive line coach. I am the strength no coach. You know, I'm like, Oh my no gosh. <laughs> it's just hard to do that coach talk about go ahead no go ahead no it's like I'm the same way you know when we feed our kids our nutrition and it's a funny story I was talking to Scott Sinclair at a at a at, at UGA you know he's one of the top strength coaches in America and he was at Marshall before that and um he uh coached of course we had a great player named Michael Selby it was a all-conference USA about three years in a row up there and um, and so I went up there to their clinic one time and was talking to him. And I talked to him once he was at Georgia. He said the biggest thing he remember when they were feeding all the players was when he was at Marshall. He had like him and one or two GAs were just making sandwiches left and right, uh, uh, slicing apples and doing bananas. And he said at Georgia, he said number one he has no budget, and he said that uh, <laughs> said that he has like every player has their own nutritionist basically that does a standardized nutritional plan for them so he said i don't he said I, I don't know how to act sometimes and i think that's how we are like when we do peanut butter and jelly sandwiches i have to make them all 100 some odd by hand every day and yeah. um because you know he said well why don't you get the other coaches to help you well the other coaches number one coach about three sports they all on morning duty they're all you know having to do extended day and teach seven classes and things like that. So, you know, it's, it's a part of it, but I like it, you know, so if it's, like I said, what if it gives us an edge, you know, if you want to be great, you have to do things that others won't do. And that was the only way to bring the trish to our kids was to do it that way. Then then so be it. So it's worked up this point. So we keep doing it. But, um, you know, you, like you said, the here is, we're, we call it we're shade treatment. We have to do everything in terms of the running of a program where some schools, even big high school programs, have 12 or 15 people to do the manpower. The smaller schools have three to five. And, uh, and you know, we become, I guess, from class A to about class AAA, you become a jack of all trades. Yeah. As if when you coach. Yeah, I know, man. Um, talk about toughness. I, I know that – I know uh, – your coaching style and just who you are very tough. You demand that from your players. Talk about how you get toughness out of your players. I mean, I'm sure that you've never put a football team out there on the field. I mean, it might not have been talented, but they're tough. You mentioned that earlier. 
talk about things that you do to develop toughness in your kids. Because at the end of the day, you know, everybody loves seven on seven and passing all the time. Football is still a tough man's game. And those teams that win championships can run the football and are tough in the trenches. Talk about that a little bit. Well, we make them our summer workout program. It's very tough and very, very, very demanding. Um, and we just tell them, you know, to do different, to do uncommon things. You have to do things that nobody else will do. And uh, we run ours. You know, we, we, you know, a lot of people, even in double A, don't believe in two platoon, or believe in two platoon and they're not going both ways. We have guys, we play Ironman football. Everybody's coached on offense and defense. Uh, in the off season, we do some things. You know, we try to make our, we try to make our conditioning as mentally grueling as much as it is physically grueling. Um, and what I mean by that is, not, you know, we want to win them really good, but we want to make them think about it. We want to throw adversity at them. You know, you give them a lot of laps to run, and, you know, you want to make them think ahead. You want to make them – you want to force them to teach themselves how to live in a moment. You have to be patient because in the beginning, you'll see kids wilt. You know, you'll start seeing – you start seeing kids breaking points. You see the two percenters, the ones that can survive anything. You see, you see the ones that is as soon as you start conditioning, you know, they fade right to the back. You know, they want to wilt right at the beginning. You see some in the beginning that are that are trying to run out front, but as soon as it gets tough, they fade to the back. And you see some that try to save themselves to the end. I mean, you you see all all across the spectrum, and you, they. What you want to do is make more people like your two percenters. That, hey, coach, it don't matter what you throw at us, we're going to figure it out. And so we try to educate them on that. We talk about mental toughness. We talk about talking to yourself in a positive way. We talk about, you know, an I can attitude. We talk about having to adapt, having to do things. You know, you think about the toughest people on the planet. You think about those United States Special Forces and, and what they do, not just Navy SEALs, but all of those guys are just there their minds are so advanced and how they can deal with, with, uh, with, with adversity in certain situations and remain calm. And that's what we want to do. We want to be, want to be t people that can complete tasks with excellence. And think about that when you say that, be somebody that completes the task with excellence. And with excellence means whatever task you're given, you do it to the best of your ability. Now that is a simple formula for excellence in life and beyond, but man, it just doesn't, it just, it's, it's, Sounds so simple and so profound, but it's so hard. And coach, if you can figure that out, then I will subscribe to you as my personal self-help coach for the rest of my days, as would any coach in the world. That's the thing today is 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 convincing kids of that that hey, whatever job you're given, whatever your role is, relish that role, own it. Because when you own that role and get so good at it, then that's going to open your that's going to open doors for other roles. Right. You got to be you got to match you you know you got to be a you want to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. You want to be able to to really 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 take ownership of whatever task you're given and complete it with excellence. And excellence means doing it to the best of your ability and doing it to the fullest. And nowadays, I guess you know, I guess young people are all even adults who. We got so much information to process right in front of us that we think that some somehow it's there's an easier way to do something. In a lot of ways, there is. There's more efficient ways to do things. But at the end of the day, it's like Chip Kelly revolutionized football. 
Reverend Chip Kelly changed the way offenses could get up and down the field. He didn't change how tough it was. You still had to physically move people out of the way, take that, take getting hit and executing and all that good stuff. Right. Now, that gets lost. That, that gets lost in the process. It doesn't take away from the toughness of it. The toughness of football still will always be there. So I think sometimes that you know toughness and success is what it is. It doesn't mean you can have all the choices in the world. You can have all these opportunities you think you have around you in this with with media and all that you know, getting to you in the blink of an eye but at the end of the day good is good and to be good you have to sacrifice you have to fail you have to come back from the failures and as easy as the process as it seems that's just in today's society it's, it's lost more and more and more no doubt coach talk about how you practice um, you know, talking about kids playing both ways, they do that. They do that with me as well. And I had a kid, you know, last year come up to me, and he's he's like, you know, at such and such college, they only practice for an hour and forty minutes. And I was like, well, everybody only plays one way at that school, and that's just not how we do it here. Like, I end up on Monday and Tuesday, and I give them water breaks every twenty-five minutes, but we're out there for three hours because. Everybody's got to play two positions. We got to work everything. I got to coach the JV. So the varsity coaches the JV as well. So I want to work them too. And so we have this whole plan organized. But like, I'm not going to just go out there for two hours and then go play on Friday night and we're not prepared all because I didn't practice the amount of time that I needed to practice because my kids play both ways. Talk about how you pra- – I'm looking for a more efficient way if there is one. <laughs> Um, just, you know, we, we scripted in practice. We just try to make it as more, most, more, as, as close to game-like as possible in terms of instead of going offensive group, then offensive team period, then offensive inside and all that, we will go back and forth, defense, offense, defense, offense. If we're running a block of team offense, we'll flip right over and run a block of team defense. And one way we do that is because some of the two-way guys that are coming over from offense or vice versa. They have to play a little winded. They have to play a little winded, but also it simulates in that game how it's going to be. And right. uh, one thing that I'm personally proud of is the years that we've always played kids both ways. I felt like that. You know, I, I don't think that – I feel like people have always had a lot of respect for us for that because our kids handle it so well. And, um, and it's like I said, it's just your best 11 have to be on the field. And a lot of times, I don't mean, well, that's the only 11 that's going to play. No, because a lot of times those young JV kids that you're working hard to develop, one of those two-quarter JV kids about midseason, they're ready to take on reps, you know, almost like a co-start. And then you go on a playoff run and you got everybody healthy and you built out. So um, there's more than one way to skin a cat. Right. And I think the three-hour rule doesn't – you know, we're about where we do that now. Um, I think if you speed up and run through everything, I mean, I think – Two hours and 15, two hours and 20 minutes is probably about the best you could do. But on a Monday, like you said, a Monday and a Tuesday, those are grind days. You're probably like us. My Wednesday, when things go right, is usually shorter than my Tuesday and my Monday. Yes. As the week goes on and the kids start getting it down, the days get shortened up. So I would have to say, whatever you're doing, keep doing it because obviously it's working. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't change anything. Well, you know, I always just think about it, but I'm just like, you know, they also get an hour of film before practice in college, an hour of film after practice in college. Um, All right, last question for you, Coach. Um, Curious to see your take on this. 
because I think like we just live in a, an entitled world. Like everybody thinks they deserve more than they have. And even if you already have a lot, you think you deserve even more. I, I am, uh, this is my personal opinion. I'm, I'm kind of tired of the debate of whether a college athlete, especially football player, especially BCS football player, should get paid. And then, you know, I'm sure you saw it too. Maybe you didn't, but LSU showing the new locker room and the new facilities that they have. And when you really get down to it, I bet you these kids get a $500,000 education when you start factoring in. Yeah, they do. They new- do. They do. I'm not, I'm not about the paying athletes. Now, certain stipends, like, you know, certain food stipends, you know, or for outside when they're outside the dining hall or, you know, along, like even back in the day when my father played 50 years ago at University of Georgia, they had laundry stipends back then that you could use for laundry, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, things like that, but, you know, I think you keep amateurism, amateurism. But I understand it's not like I'm, you know, looking at it strictly from the eyes of an organization or the coach. Because I've coached players that have been great and had their jersey sold and all that. I certainly get that. I do think after an athlete is done, if you want to keep it amateurism, I do think that somehow, some way, without getting tons of class action lawsuits, that there's got to be a way that after they're done with their college eligibility, that there is some sort of compensation that these guys get. Because that's only right. I mean, people get sued every day for having their likeness or having something copyrighted. And you got these amateur athletes that people are making millions of dollars off of with their jerseys and all. And at the end of the day, this kid still uh, outside of that scholarship has nothing. And I, I believe by playing by the rules and not playing that player, paying that player as a college athlete. And I'm, I just think they, if they could find a way to have a standardized policy where once you get done playing, if there is some sort of compensation that, you know, cop that NCAA or whatever could come up with, compensation package or whatever for each guy. And it may, you know, I don't mean like no million dollars. I mean, it could be just uniform for everybody across the board. Um, but because I see both sides of the argument. Yes, they are being paid with their with their education. Yes, that, that's their payment. But also the ones that are just having millions of dollars made off of them with their licenses and things like that. I certainly understand where when they're done, you know, they would like to see compensation. I, I, I see both sides of the issue. That's what makes it so tough. Yeah, no doubt. I agree. If, if they're selling your jersey, I don't think you should get it right now. I think they're too young to get it. But I think they should put it in a pot and they get it, at, uh, like you said, after they graduate or something like that. Um, I said that was going to be the last question, but or, I have one. Or, or have, have, a, have an autograph policy, man. If you have a, if you were to have some sort of way where they could have a limit or, or things that they were allowed to autograph, I mean, you're talking about college kids, man, if they're really, and believe it or not, in a lot of schools, they don't pay players, you know. When you, everybody may make you think that college football is just this seedy place where everybody's being paid under the table. I'm sure it takes place a lot of places, but a lot of people, they don't just pay the athletes. So these guys making a, a little money off their autograph, I mean, I see no, I mean, you, you've been given a gift and you've cultivated that gift. I, it's hard to tell those guys to punish them if they, or if somebody offers them some money for their autograph, if that makes sense, you know? It's, it's hard to, when you think about an 18, 19, 20, 21 year old college kid, 
I mean, who it's very hard. Temptation to, to make money off selling your autograph. I mean, I certainly see that. If that makes sense. No, it makes sense. I think they should be able to do that. But I'm coming from the school of right. You know, nobody would have paid for my autograph. And um, right. You know, like so. I don't mind that. I just get sick and tired of the griping and complaining because go back to when you played at Jack State, when I played at the Citadel, and you know, it's like guys. Do you realize how much you have? I mean, you you, you no have two a day. Yeah, well, you have it a lot easier. But like, you you have tutors every single night. You have, uh, you know, you have the medical care and and nutrition that right. you have. Uh, it's it's just crazy how much is invested in you, and and realize it's tax it's tax free. Um, you know, so. Uh, but I do have one more question for you. Um, so, here we go, Coach. We're about to start preseason practice. I think everybody's starting next week. What are your objectives for preseason practice, you know, leading up into game one? What do you want to accomplish? What's your focus areas? Uh, me as an offensive coach, execution and physicality. Um, ball handling, protecting the football, and playing uber physical. You do those two things, nine times out of ten, your your defense is probably the same way your defense is tough. If you go back and look over the years, coach, look at how many teams can really run the football and be physical. How many of their defenses were just as every bit as physical, and and I think that makes you know that makes a difference. And um, and I, I feel like just getting our defense flying to the ball, you know. Reading those keys, flying the ball, and making tackles, and offensively protecting that ball, and just playing is phys making every day just a physical uprising to where we're trying to be insanely physical for a couple hours a day, and going into the uh, the field house, and relax, go be great students, and then the next day come out there again. Just guys that just they just love to practice and love to get better. Absolutely, Coach. That's a great formula. Well, I appreciate you being on the uh, podcast today. It's always good to talk with you. It was you. an honor, Coach. I thank you for having me. Yeah, man. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray as we head out. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Lord, we come before you today. I just want to praise and thank you for loving us, Lord. Uh, first and foremost, Lord, we praise and thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Uh, Lord, I praise and thank you for Coach, uh, Coach Ingram, Lord, that I just pray that you would be with him there at Washington County this year and that you would just uh, continue to use him to mold and shape uh, young boys into men. I know that he does that well. I pray that you would just be with him during this football season. Lord, we pray for success for him and his players. Uh, Lord, and, I, and like he mentioned, Lord, they would also be great in the classroom each and every day and great off the field uh, at night uh, after the games and on Saturday nights, Lord. Just be great leaders for the community. Uh, Lord, and I pray for all the other coaches out there as they're about to get started. Lord, I pray that you would just bless us all. Keep us safe. Uh, give us wisdom as we coach, Lord, and may we glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, appreciate it, Coach. Amen. Thank you, Coach. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My foes are many, they rise against me, but I will hold my ground. I will not fall.
fear the war I will not fear the storm My help is on the way My help is on the way straight